What's in a name? Well, if that name is Agile or DevOps, it can be quite a lot. Very few businesses successfully manage a digital transformation on the first try. Those failures can make it that much harder to attempt a transformation again, or even breathe the words Agile and DevOps. You touch a hot stove, you're not exactly in a rush to touch it again. Here's the funny thing though, DevOps and Agile are all about experimentation. Failure is a feedback loop, and it just might reveal the path to success the next time around. I'm David Carty, site editor of Search Software Quality, and this is the Test and Release Podcast, where we speak with experts about software development and testing topics. I'm here in Las Vegas, site of the DevOps Enterprise Summit, a conference for leaders in the IT space. John Smart is my guest in this episode. He's a partner and business agility lead at Deloitte, a management consultancy. Smart also has roots in the fintech industry, having held several roles at Barclays and Deutsche Bank, where he oversaw a massive business transformation toward agile DevOps and continuous improvement approaches. Smart now works with clients across a variety of industries. And while they all have unique stories and needs, there are some common threads in the success stories of high performers. We talked about those, as well as how command and control leadership is a poison pill for progressive digital transformation. First of all, what do you hope to gain out of conferences like this? You present it, shows like the DevOps Enterprise Summit, and I imagine you have a couple different objectives when you come to a show like this. So how are these types of conferences useful to you and what do you get out of them? Uh, in short, shared learning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a fantastic community for sharing learning. And it's, a, it's both give and take. So, which is, I think it's great to have people who kind of step outside of the boundaries of their organizations they work at and they come and share the things that have worked and the things that haven't worked and the lessons learned. Um, so you know, kind of being an attendee, it's, I just love, the, there's so much learning in such a short amount of time. And you kind of, you get to see the patterns that repeat and the anti-patterns that repeat, mm-hmm. the things that generally tend to work more principle-based rather than practice-based, you know, the types of approaches that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the give is about you know, sharing your own experiences as well, because otherwise you have these kind of bubbles of learning in companies and people are not sharing them, and there can be a bubble of awesomeness in, a, in an organization. But if people don't talk about their bubble of awesomeness, it's going to stay in the bubble. <laughs> it's a bubble effect. Um, yeah. So it's about, it's about sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a member of the DevOps Enterprise Summit Programming Committee as well, right? Yeah. Um, how do you go about trying to assess DevOps trends and cultivate a curriculum around that? Uh, and how do, you, how do you basically call it all down into something that's understandable for attendees and, and useful for them? So Gene uh, comes up with some themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a programming committee, we discuss and agree the, the themes for each year. So we try to have some variety in the, in the topics, the types of talks. Um, as Jean spoke about in the opening on day one, uh, Jean shared the percentage of talks per topic. So we try to make sure there's a good balance between ops, biz tech divide, uh, leadership, and so on, and repeat talks as well. Um, I think repeat talks are are important because you you get to follow organisations on the multi-year journey. And a lot in my personal experience, a lot of the learnings come in year three and year four and year five, not in year one and year two. Sure. Um, so we try to make sure there's a balance. We try to we try very hard to have as much diversity as possible mm-hmm. in the speakers. Um, 
So we look out for that. Um, uh, and increasingly trying to get new people up on the main stage who haven't spoken on the main stage before. So now, you know, some of, some of the repeat speakers are speaking in breakouts, uh, trying to get some new uh, new storytelling uh, happening at the conference. Um, it's it's a super hard job because the quality of all of the submissions is so high. Yeah. You know, and there are so many of them. It's a it's a it's a really good problem to have. Yeah. Um, and it's great to see the DevOps Enterprise Summit getting bigger and bigger and bigger each year. Um, it's 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 a, and it's a really great community. Yeah, it speaks to the ubiquity of uh, of DevOps now and how some of these success stories are emerging out of the show and, you know, becoming kind of full circle and coming back to inform other success stories, right? Yeah. Uh, what were some emergent themes uh, that came up in your talks with Gene around developing the curriculum for this show? Uh, were there any topics in there or trends that were surprising to you or particularly interesting to you? Um, a couple a couple come to mind. Um, spanning the biz tech divide mm -hmm. is a really, I feel quite strongly about. So, because this is not you, this is not something that one should be doing in isolation in information technology. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 you know our business. Um, it's not the business. It's our business, um, and it's working together in multidisciplinary teams where your your tribal identity is the value you're producing. Your tribal identity is not your job role. You know that's the old way of working where your tribal identity is I am IT. Sure. Now, the, Modern way of working is my tribal identity is mortgages, savings, helicopter engines, <laughs> hotels, you know, whatever it is the company does. Um, so that's that's one. The other the other thing I'm quite interested in at the moment, and I spoke about um, yesterday at the DevOps Enterprise Summit, is around risk and control and compliance, GRC, governance, risk and control. Sure. Um, and um, you know, and and increasingly, I'm seeing conversations and an awareness that compliance needs to change as well. Um, there's been lots of well-publicized examples recently, British Airways, Marriott, Experian, Capital One, uh, the NotPetya virus in 2017 that took out Maersk, Merck, four hospitals, six power stations, um, 300 companies, 22 banks, mm. ATMs weren't working, your credit card wasn't working. Um, you know, the, so the, the the implications of cyber attacks are clearly getting higher and higher every day as companies more and more become information technology companies. So the need for a mindset shift in compliance is super important because it isn't about just trying to keep people out of the perimeter. You've got to assume that the attackers will get in to your past the perimeter and it's then being able to identify that lock it down you know minimize the damage um, when someone gets in right and you've worked in the fintech space you understand the needs of some of these customers you you work with them now they're they're clients for you um can you explain what they need out of a devops implementation or methodology, what are, what are some of their needs in this space in particular that might yeah. differ from, say, a startup or somebody that doesn't have that kind of regulation around their business? My personal view is that every company is a regulated company. If you've got, especially uh, unless you don't have any client data whatsoever and you have no credit card details, if you, haven't, if you don't have customers, then you're probably not regulated, <laughs> but then you're probably not in business. Sure. So every company is regulated. So, you know, 
my personal view is it's it's the same. It doesn't matter whether you're an organization of 10 people or 300,000 people, you still have a responsibility around the personal data that you have. And and the, the fines are getting bigger and bigger. The, the GDPR legislation in Europe affects all companies globally if you have European customer data. Sure. British Airways were fined £183 million recently for a breach of that customer data. Um, obviously, the larger the company gets, the 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 more people need the more people are involved, and in my experience, there is more bureaucracy and there's more years where the controls have just accumulated over time. You think you've got 100 years or 300 years of audit points, and each time someone to satisfy an audit point introduces a new control, the, the landscape does get quite complex and complicated. Um, and it tends to be a culture of compliance over risk mm-hmm. and risk appetite. So what I mean by that is checkbox, um, just basically following the list, tick box approach um, without actually having a risk appetite conversation. Um, so that's especially for larger firms, it's important to not to take a one size fits all approach. Uh, it's a difficult task to scale Agile in an enterprise. You were just talking about that a little bit. Uh, there are all these different Agile scaling frameworks. There are all these different books and podcasts and techniques, what have you, uh, yet it's something you were able to manage quite well at Barclays Group, uh, a huge global organization. Uh, everyone's journey, everyone's needs are going to differ. No one size fits all approach, as you mentioned. But what would you try to impart on an enterprise struggling to scale Agile to that level? Two things. If you want to scale Agile, don't. <laughs> Descale the work first. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Nail it before you scale it, get it working in the small, and then repeat. Uh, it's an S-curve adoption over a multi-year time period. It's not linear. You have to keep the gradient low to change to start with because the, you have the most impediments, the most inertia, the fewest people that understand it, and, and it gets exponentially easier as time goes by because you've created so, social proof. You've created proof points in your organization. The second thought is, if you want to do an agile transformation, don't. Focus on better value sooner, safer, and happier, because that's the job you're hiring. Agile, agility, DevOps, systems thinking, theory of constraints, design thinking, etc., etc. That's the job you're hiring it to do. It's a bit like uh, an organization wants to hang a painting. Agile is the drill to drill a hole in the wall in order to hang the painting. So if you do an agile transformation, it's like doing a drill transformation. You know, you end up with a, a wall full of holes, but no painting going up. Um, an example of that is Nokia, Nokia Mobile. They were scoring 99% on their How Agile Are We test, and it didn't help Symbian. Hmm. It didn't help Nokia, Nokia Mobile. Right. So, and I, you know, and we've made this. I've made this mistake in the past as well, where, you know, where, where a particular part of the business um, was agile but it wasn't having a material impact on the end-to-end customer experience and and time to value because of of blockages elsewhere. So in my experience, the pivot here is when you focus on the the outcomes that you're trying to achieve, so better is quality, value is value, sooner is throughput, lead time, and flow efficiency. Mm -hmm. So it's time to learning is sooner. Safer is control, compliance, agile, not fragile. Mm And then happier is happier, colleagues, customers, citizens, and climate. 
because it's not at any cost to society or the planet or to colleagues. Right. And organisations that do this not well, as the State of DevOps report shows, they reduce their lead time. However, quality goes down and happiness goes down. Right. Yeah, that tells a story right there. And I imagine focusing on the outcomes like you're talking about, it sends a clear message to the workers too, right? It's not, hey, we're adapting, we're adopting this agile methodology or this DevOps methodology that has all of these different ideas and concepts around them. But here, we're going to focus on these specific areas that deliver value to the business and help clarify your work a little bit. Yes, and it's you're empowering people to use their own brains to figure out how to improve on better, sooner, safer, happier. So actually what it is, is it's, it, this is where happiness goes up. This is where engagement levels go up and you have more rewarding, you have a, it's a more humane uh, existence because it's not order giver, order taker and follow the process. What it is, is within guardrails, you know, within guardrails so that you don't fall off the edge and you know, you don't leak customer data and whatever else, you're empowered. In fact, you're incentivized to increase quality, flow, happiness, and safety. And they balance each other out because you can't, you can't uh, artificially, you know, you can't game the system because if you, if you kind of game the system, one of them goes up and the others go down. Sure. So they balance each other out. And then what I found is that's super empowering. You know, you have intrinsic motivation because you're intrinsically motivated to choose for yourself how you're going to improve on those things. One particular example, uh, it wasn't about agile at all. The, the what worked for the culture and the history for this particular business area was smaller waterfalls, hmm. because there was baggage around the A word, yeah. agile. Because there'd been three previous failed attempts at trying to inflict capital A agile, very prescriptive, you know, um, scrum master, product owner, stand ups, retrospectives, and so typically what happens is. You get you, the new labels are used, but it's the same old behavior underneath. Sure, people are still doing, you know, kind of five iterations of analysis and five iterations of development and five iterations of testing, and calling each other scrum masters and product owners. Um, so instead, focus on the outcomes. And in that particular case, it was smaller waterfalls, and then eventually it got to what you might call agile, but without coming at it from uh, a lack of intrinsic motivation, infliction of agile. Right. And without giving the workers those nightmares of remembering how it didn't work the first time around. Yeah. Um, one word I've heard in several conversations here at the conference so far is trust. Uh, it's a central DevOps concept, trust between, you know, the business side and the tech side, you know, workers across different spectrums here. Um, it's, a, it, it's a central DevOps concept that comes up in employee net promoter scores, the Westrom typology model, and even in Gene Kim's new book, it comes up, The Unicorn Project. Um, we've talked about the ideas of DevOps and Agile on a massive scale, but how do you specifically address the issue of improving trust uh, with IT personnel? And um, Does it need to be only IT personnel or, or is it? Well, I suppose people, it's across the business, yeah, right? I would, yeah. In terms of in terms of organizations delivering value better, sooner, safer, happier, sure. I, I would say it's just people, yeah. And um, so on trust, I think this comes back to the guardrails. So you have to have, this is kind of minimal viable compliance, hashtag MVC. Um, <laughs> you have to have, if, if the, 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 the better those guardrails are, um, and they are, they're, they're right-sized, they're not one-size-fits-all, they're context-sensitive. It's about people over process, over tooling. It's about conversation. 
when you've got those guardrails in place, then that gives teams more freedom and and there there can be more trust because you, it's hard to fall off the edge. Um, you know, and this is something. Obviously, financial services, like a lot of industries, financial services is purely based on trust. Mm-hmm. You know, right? so you know, we are trusting an organisation with our money, which is no longer physical. It's ones and zeros on a disk somewhere. Right. And we're, and we're trusting, and you know, just based on just like actually, paper money is still trust. In God, we trust. <laughs> um, That's true. And being able to turn up to a central bank and redeem it for gold, except you can't. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so therefore. Um, you know, you've got to have those guardrails, and, and and the more, in in my personal experience, the more you give trust, the more people behave with trust. It kind of people raise raise their bar when people are treated, you know, as as, every, as we all know, if someone is treated with a lack of trust, um, you're not quite so tempted to. Well, if I'm if this is a nanny state, and you know, and I I can't do this this and this without asking permission, or I'm not going to be trusted, it, people don't raise their game. Right. So much as when they are trusted, and obviously there will occasionally be someone malicious. So again, it's about it's about as I was saying earlier, um, expecting failure or expecting a criminal attack or malicious activity, and then being able to identify it quickly and deal with it gracefully. Yeah, yeah. For mature DevOps adopters or high performing DevOps adopters, based on the trends you see, how do you advise those clients? Uh, how do you how do they continue? to optimize and accelerate in a way that uh, maintains these values that we've talked about? Again, focus on the outcomes you're trying to achieve. And in my experience across a number of companies, the words better value, sooner, safer, happier, clearly apply in every context. And so for an organization, you know, feel free to use, you know, obviously use whatever words work. However, quality, value, flow, Safety and happiness. I've, I've yet to find. Uh, you know, you wouldn't drop one of those, and I haven't found one yet that's been missing. Maybe, maybe in a year's time, there'll be another word there. I'm not sure. Um, that's a never-ending journey. When you focus on those things around quality, flow, safety, happiness, um, when you focus on those things, it's a never, it's a never-ending journey. You're never done. It's continuous improvement, like to- like Toyota are extremely good at. It's continuous improvement. Human systems entropy. As soon as you take the foot off the gas, it, the controls come back in, the bureaucracy comes back in. It's just human nature. It's a bit like gardening. Uh, if you stop weeding your garden, the weeds will grow. In the past, what we've done is we've let the weeds grow and we've had to do a slash and burn type approach where we then slash and burn the garden. And I spend a load of money on a really large program to do the great you know, capital T transformation program. And then we leave it again. Um, it surprises me how few organizations have people whose job it is to continually be a servant leader to support improving the system of work, which is what which is what I, I do and help organizations with is you know to have a relatively small number of people who are the servant bit is to support teams, people who are trying to get stuff done. And some of the impediments are bigger than teams can deal with. They might be organizational impediments like the like the change life cycle, for example, like compliance. They're bubbled up, and there are some people who will, um, in a in a servant manner, will take that on, work with the right people, get the sponsorship from the executive committee, and clear those impediments. Um, the leader bit, the leader bit, is leading on better value sooner, safer, happier. It's leading on uh, the latest insights and learning from other companies around ways of working. So I think it's super important to have 
a relatively small number of people whose job it is to do that. Right. And is this what you're seeing, the high, that's what the high-performing uh, DevOps ad adopters are doing generally? I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think combine that with a, a, a leadership culture of encouraging experimentation, mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as a failed experiment. It's just learning. So even if the experiment doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go, you've, you've learned to load from that. So it's having you know, leaders with that mentality and obviously safe to fail experiments. You don't want to you know, bet the company on an experiment. Right. Um, so the, to quote Frederick Laloux, who wrote um, uh, Reinventing Organizations, the consciousness of an organization cannot exceed the consciousness of its leader. And I see this a lot, you know, where there are uh, leaders who are encouraging that right culture of experimentation and improvement. And it, that's all it takes. It's just all it takes is um, setting that tone of I want continuity. You know, we would like we we will recognize you for um, stepping out of your comfort zone and going for continuous improvement. Um, and then also what I see a lot is organizations when there's a change in leadership and there might be someone who is quite open-minded and, and uh, empowering and someone more traditional comes in who is more command and control, less empowering, uh, more kind of um, do what I say. Um, and, I, and then those organizations, I see them go backwards. Right. Yeah? Um, and they go backwards very, very quickly. Sure. It takes a long time to move forwards and it doesn't take very long to go back again. Yeah. Can, can you train up the command and control people? Is that something that's inherent within them? If they just receive so much negative training over the years that it sticks with them? Or can they, you know, uh, progress to a spot where they, they get it and they, and they adapt their behavior? So I think um, humans have a limited velocity to unlearn. People have a limited speed to unlearn. Some people will unlearn quicker than others. And... And I think it's not so much about negative training, it's about what has led certain people to be successful and get to where they've got to. And you know, certain people in certain organizations where the cultural norm is, is a certain cultural norm, for example, command and control, that maybe has enabled some people have been recognized and rewarded and promoted based on I get stuff done. However, get stuff done at any cost, typically at any human cost. Sure. Um, and if there are other more senior leaders who are of the same mindset, then you know that maybe that goes unchecked, or it's like, well done, you, you know, the deadwood are leaving the firm, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard for a leopard to change its spots. There is a limited velocity to unlearn and relearn. My view is it's not about resistance or convincing. Those words should not enter the vocabulary. It should be invite over inflict. It should be about inviting change. So from my perspective, if a senior leader doesn't want to change or doesn't want to change like uh, either the culture or, or better, sooner, safer, happier, then that's fine. And, you know, fine. We don't need to talk, you know, like when you, you know, if if at some point you, you do want to deliver better, sooner, safer, happier uh, across all across all of those measures, not just one of them, um, then let's have a conversation. And dear leader, you know you might be part of the problem. Um, but I guess that, you know, it has to be invited. You know, coaching has to be invited. You know, that's a precondition. Um, right. It can't be inflicted. Yeah, you can't force that upon anybody. No. Are we at least seeing fewer leopards? <laughs> um, I think that we, are we seeing fewer leopards? I think we're seeing, in terms of the leopard changing its spots, we're seeing more and more organizations who are on the path of continuous improvement we definitely 
are, you know, are either on or gone past the tipping point now where it's now it's just the norm you know kind of new ways of working agile devops digital transformation because at a macroeconomic level we've gone from the age of oil and mass production where humans had a competence in mass producing the same thing a hundred thousand times we're now in the age of uh, software and digital where the very nature of what we produce it's different every single time and this is this is the big shift because organized human endeavor needs to be good at emergence where you don't know how, what you're going to build you don't know how you're going to build it and you don't know what people want so you can't it's not like building a uh, hundred thousand ford model t's mm-hmm. you know it's it's emergent and so there is definitely, you know, we're, we're on or past the tipping point. I think we're probably, part, you know, we're way past the early adopters and the early majority. I think we're into the late majority. Yeah, we are definitely into the late majority now. There's still a long runway of, of organizations who are firmly in the late majority in the laggards, in mm-hmm. the diffusion of innovation curve. Sure. Um, uh, and it's kind of becoming table stakes now. Yeah. Very interesting and very helpful. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you. Check out searchsoftwarequality.com for more articles on application development, testing, DevOps, and Agile topics, or follow us on Twitter, at SoftwareTestTT.